Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTRadio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. I'd like to congratulate myself on having a classic senior moment. During the sports update, I'm thinking today's Thursday, and I mentioned, hey, the Frozen Four is underway. It's actually tomorrow. Today's Wednesday. <laughs> Great start to the 5 o'clock hour, but I promise that will be my only mistake of the next two hours. But I'm ready for tomorrow. Tomorrow when I say they're underway, they are underway. I'm excited to see if the Big Ten can win a national championship, something that has not happened since the conference was formed. I still think it's gonna be Minnesota and Michigan in the championship game. They will play tomorrow, because tomorrow is Thursday. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. I'm Darren Pritchett. Good to be with you on this Wednesday, April the 5th of 2023. Darren, if it's Thursday, you'd be watching the Masters right now, the first round, not the par three contest. Get it together. All right, coming up on the program this evening, we've got our hat trick of opening topics, which will include Notre Dame wide receiver talk, Aloy Jimenez, and the movie Air. NFL mock draft conversation at 5.30. Twitter question of the day later on this hour. Then coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, it is a conversation on Notre Dame football spring practice with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Tyler Horka. He is the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We're going to talk about the wide receiving core in that conversation. How about Tyler Buckner's spring so far? And with Logan Diggs missing a little time in practice with an undisclosed injury, what has the running back rotation look like? In particular, 
with Chris Tyree at wide receiver. That and more coming up in our spring football conversation with Tyler Horka one hour from right now here on WSBT Radio. Also in the 6 o'clock hour, the My 5 is my top five Masters pairings for tomorrow. And a little sizzler. A lot of that's already happened today. But we'll get to that coming up in just a few moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics. I just want to spend a little time. Let's just go over the wide receiver position for the Fighting Irish. We're halfway through spring practice. And I think there are jobs to be won at wide receiver. Now you have some familiar faces who are leading candidates like Lorenzo Styles and Jaden Thomas. You got the young guns, that freshman class, which is very intriguing. And oh, by the way, they better be good because you have an All-American caliber quarterback in Sam Hartman running this offense in 2023. On the other side of the shoe, you can say, well, Sam Hartman can make these guys even better, which we expect to happen. I think one of the biggest question marks at wide receiver, you could argue on this football team, what are the Irish going to get out of wide receiver Lorenzo Styles? Started to blossom as a freshman two years ago, had the big Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State, eight catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown. All offseason, I felt like he was going to be the team's number one wide receiver. Now, the top target was going to be tight end Michael Mayer, but among the wide receivers, I thought he was ready to break out. What happens? 30 catches, 340 yards, and a touchdown. He had two games only with five or more catches. Most catches, seven against Marshall. 69 receiving yards was his top output last year. He did that twice against Marshall and North Carolina. Boy, the talent's there. Bunch of talent. Uncharacteristic drops last year. And now back for another season. Is it his time to shine now in South Bend? Well, we go back to early on in spring camp when Marcus Freeman was asked specifically about Styles' down year and bouncing back in 2023. Yeah, it's not even the, just Lorenzo. Um, there's multiple players that, you know, it could be mentally they, they struggle, right? And, and that's the difficult part of sometimes social media, sometimes I told players all the time, I'm a player. And I probably put the most pressure on my children because I see them in a light that maybe not everybody does, right? And parents can put pressure on kids. Media can put pressure on kids. What they have to do is really just I tell them all the time, stay in the middle, right? And if it's criticism, it is what it is. It's praise, it's, it is what it is. Stay in the middle and don't let it sway you off of the things that it's gonna take to have success. So to, to answer your question about Lorenzo, same thing. It became, I think, mental last year. Lorenzo Styles is a talented, talented football player. I mean, really talented. And I think with him last year, it almost became a mental struggle in terms of even just the basics of catching the ball, you know? And so I've spent much time with not just Lorenzo, but multiple guys that, hey man, as hard as it is to do, you know, we have to stay focused on the things that really matter. And, and praise doesn't matter. 
and everybody loves praise, but criticism doesn't matter. You have to say, okay, how can I get better? You know, we talked about it one day in a meeting, like, you can't be a praise seeker, right? And that's what, what, is, what is a praise seeker? Guys just seeking praise from his parents or from his, you know, the media, from his coaches. No, you have to be a truth seeker. That's how you stay right in the middle is that you're seeking truth. How do I improve? How do I get better? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing good? And so you have to continuously remind these guys of, of focus on the things that are going to help you improve and seek feedback on things that are going to help you. Don't seek praise. Don't seek, yeah, I'm going to go talk to coach because I want him to tell me I did a good job. Like my, uh, my, my seven-year-old does that, you know? And, you know, it's like just focus on seeking truth and seeking feedback on how to improve. And, and if they do that, they'll be successful, man. They will. They'll, be, they'll, they'll improve. One of the better quotes of spring practice in that first press conference, Marcus Freeman talking about Lorenzo Styles' pressure put on an individual. When I thought he was going to be the number one wide receiver last year, I wasn't trying to put pressure on him. I just witnessed what he did late in his freshman year, earning playing time, and you just felt like that next step was going to happen for this talented guy. Maybe things avalanched on him a little bit with a couple of drop footballs, and it was, gosh, I don't think we're being critical by saying it was an off year and not what we expected or what most expected, me being one. But I still believe in him, and I'm not trying to put pressure on him by saying I think he can be this team's number one target this year. Michael Mayer's getting ready for the NFL draft. Why can't Styles be that number one target for Sam Hartman? It's in him. There's no doubt about it. Now let's see what happens in 2023. And if he gets off to a great start, we'll forget all about 2022. Jaden Thomas, 25 catches last year, 361 yards, and three touchdowns for Marcus Freeman. And he's a guy that's taken on a leadership role for this football team as he gets set for another season as a key component of this Irish offense. You know, that's a challenge I've had for that entire room and, and Jaden and Lorenzo and, and even uh, uh, Deion Colsey, you know, guys that have been here. You know, Caleb Smith is, is an older guy, but he's still new to Notre Dame into that room. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope Jaden Thomas continues to um, excel on the field um, and then in his leadership, you know, his leadership roles. You know, what he's done to Waverman, I think he's, he's matured and, and said, okay, I can play at a higher level when I take care of my body. I'm at a weight um, that I feel really comfortable at. And so I think he's uh, really kind of put effort into his nutrition and what he's done in the weight room. Marcus Freeman on Jaden Thomas. One of the interesting stories of spring practice, something we have followed the progress of, and that is running back Chris Tyree starting spring practice at wide receiver. On Saturday in front of the media, Chris Tyree was still at wide receiver back on day one of spring practice. This is what Coach Freeman told us about this little experiment of Tyree going to wide receiver. Permanent move, it's, it's, it's to be determined. I think he's a guy that has multiple skill sets, and we know Chris Tyree is a guy we have to have on the football field. And, you know, the ability to put him out some wide out. We know what he can do as a running back and really be a guy that can do multiple different things. You're seeing more of that in college football and the NFL. 
guys that can play multiple different skill positions on offense. So do you treat them as a running back? Do you treat them as a wideout? And that's what we got to be able to do and, and gain confidence in the quarterbacks and in him as a wide receiver. But he's shown the skill set to be uh, a wide receiver at this level. And, you know, we think we can use him as a, a, in multiple different positions. Well, one of the key Irish running backs, Logan Diggs, has missed a couple of practices this spring with an undisclosed injury. Yet Tyree, at least in front of the media, is still at wide receiver. We'll talk more about this with Blue and Gold's Tyler Horka at the top of next hour. And one of the new guys for this Fighting Irish wide receiving core, one of the young gun, early enrollee freshman, one of three early enrollee freshman wide receiver, it is Rico Flores Jr. And recently... He had the chance to stand in front of the media and talk about his first spring in South Bend. Rico, why was it important for you to early enroll? I'll say it was important for me to early enroll because I mean, get my feet wet, start learning the playbook, and start getting familiar with everybody on the team. And then how healthy are you right now? I know you had that ankle injury in the, in the fall. Mm-hmm. I'll say I'm, I'm almost 100 for sure. <laughs> Everybody here helps a lot with recovery, like therapy, uh, all, everybody up there. Uh, so they me. And then what's just your first impressions of the, the quarterbacks that you've gotten to work with so far? Yeah. They're phenomenal. I don't, I'm not going to lie. They're phenomenal. Uh, it's a lot different from high school. They put the ball right here on your face. Like, turn out it's right there. They do their job pretty well. We just talked to Brett a little bit about it, but obviously coming in alongside a couple of very talented receivers, how does that help your transition and development? Uh, makes you hungry, keeps you hungry every day. I mean, you can't never get comfortable or slack because it, man, to the left and to the right of you is working for your position, you know. I uh, also noticed you at the Notre Dame women's game a couple weeks back for the Think Pig. How has it been kind of not only getting involved in campus with football, but also just other activities as well? Um, I'll say it shows me a different aspect of life. Uh, meaning like, you know, back at home in Sacramento, I wasn't used to this at all, going out and like in our community. Our community is not always the best, I'll say. Um, but here I just feel like more open. I could just be myself, you know, and walk around freely. Rico, you talked about the transition, but what have you learned about yourself in just a couple of weeks on campus about your potential as a student? I'm real strong. I ain't gonna lie. I'm real strong. Strong-minded and just how I could keep motivation. I say like I'm doing real well academic-wise. I'm a lot smarter than I thought how I was. <laughs> I challenge myself every day on the field and off the field. Um, then with the weightlifting, I've been getting a lot stronger. And running routes, I'm getting back healthy. I say just knocking dust off. Um, I feel myself. I feel like I chose the right place. What's the one class that's resonated with you? Theology. Theology and sociology. Um, both those classes are my favorite classes right now. I'll say social, sociology is because like we're talking about the social problems around the United States. Um, and then theology is talking about God and we read the Bible every day. And I, I ain't gonna lie, I ain't read the Bible like that before. But, like, reading the Bible, like, it resonates something different. Rico, what's your relationship like with uh, Kenny Minchie, and how do you feel like you guys have developed a little bit of a rapport over the last month or two since being here? 
Kenny, Kenny's a real different individual, I'll say. He, he's similar to me, I'll say. Like, his personality, he's quiet. But like, once you get to know him, he's really, he's kind of funny. I ain't gonna lie, I call him up. Uh, just cause he reminds me of like an old man. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned the improvement uh, with your ankle foot area. Uh, what kind of expectation do you have for spring ball and your availability? 100%. 100%. Just got to do what I do, and I'll be right. You get one more? Uh, talking about just transitions within the offense, obviously a new coordinator and be a new face of quarterback who was there for most of last season. What, how exciting is it for you to come in and kind of help with a new stamp of these new it means a lot, but the old class of 23 knew, like, that's what we have to come in and do and change this program around. I wouldn't say nothing was wrong with the program before, but just adding to the expectations of Notre Dame football. That is freshman wide receiver Rico Flores Jr. He's popped up a couple of times in videos released by Notre Dame during this spring practice. 522, Darren Pritchett with you. Sportsbeat continues. Number two in our hat trick of opening topics. Want to focus on my favorite player, hands down, from my time broadcasting the South Bend Cubs from 2015 to 2021. I met a lot of interesting, fun guys, but Aloy Jimenez was my favorite. We just had a good rapport. He gravitated toward talking to me. He enjoyed the adios home run call that I made and ended up he would always have a little handshake for me going on the bus after he hit a home run during the game that just took place. So we had a lot of fun together, enjoyed sitting in front of the bus with him and he would tell some stories about himself being a youth. Just always enjoyed him, had a great personality, was 18 years old at the time and you would not have known he was one of the top prospects in baseball. Aloy, of course, traded to the Chicago White Sox in that infamous deal. Jose Quintana goes from the south side to the north side for Dylan Cease and Aloy Jimenez. Just Cease for Quintana is a steal for the White Sox. The expectation was Eloy would be a big part of the middle of the lineup and do a lot of damage for the Sox for many years to come, but it's just not panned out that way. Today, Aloy was placed on the 10-day injured list with a mild hamstring strain. I've read today he could be out two to four weeks. Just another situation in which Aloy cannot stay healthy. And to be honest with you, I think from what I understood at the time, one of the concerns for the Cubs when they traded him away that he might turn out to be like Jorge Soler, a player that gets injured a lot. And... When I talked about the trade the day it happened and in the years since, I told you up front, I am concerned about the injury bug with Aloy. Even with South Bend, he had a couple of hamstring issues. Coming back from the Futures game in which he exploded on the scene out in San Diego, came back and didn't get back on the field as quickly as you would have liked. Now, I'll tell you this as a broadcaster, I've never really talked about this. I kind of felt like that Aloy after that big showing, and I was told that someone mentioned him, gosh, I can't believe you're still in low way. Well, that affects a player that age. Well, maybe I should be up higher. Why am I not at high A or double A? 
I don't feel like he came back as quick as he should have from the injury. It was a very slow process. And it was interesting talking to two pitchers in particular. When I asked them about Aloy, the one thing they did mention that, in their opinion, they wished that he put forth the effort defensively in a game that he did offensively. They felt like he was not giving max effort out in the outfield. Now, could that have played into the Cubs wanting to get rid of him? You can add it to the list. It's not near the top of the list, but I think it is something to keep in mind. But that was a major concern for the Cubs was that injury bug. Well, according to MajorLeagueBaseball.com and researching Eloy's injury history in the majors with the White Sox, today marks the eighth time he has been on the injured list. You look back at 2021, he missed 107 games. He played in 55. Last year, missed 78 games, played in 84. When he's on the field, he's been pretty productive. I honestly thought he'd be a little better than this average-wise and on base. I thought he would be a 290 hitter with around a 340-345 on base. Right now in 321 Major League games, Aloy hitting 275 with a 327 on base. The OPS is good, 828. 71 career home runs, 214 RBI. The Sox are in an interesting spot right now. It is without a doubt a thought that everybody has the roots for the White Sox. Is this guy ever going to stay healthy? And if he's this banged up at a young age, what happens three, four, five, eight, ten years down the line? You would imagine it's going to be even more of a problem. Trying to avoid Aloy getting hurt, plus he is still weak on the defensive side of the outfield you could expect him to be a designated hitter. And really, the White Sox don't need him in the outfield at this time. They brought in Andrew Benintendi, a free agent, left-handed hitting left fielder. You've got a superstar in the making in Luis Robert Jr. in center field. And then you've got the young prospect. Let's see if he turns out to be as good as many expect, Oscar Colas. So that could be your three for this season, maybe beyond. Andrew Vaughn can always go back out there if you need someone. But I bring up Aloy not needed in the outfield. It puts the Sox in an interesting spot because being a designated hitter for the Sox, and really they don't want him in the outfield unless they have to, it does diminish his value a tad bit. Heck, his value is diminished because he can't stay healthy. And I hate saying that because I love the kid to death. But at some point, the White Sox are going to have to make a decision. Is it worth counting on this guy, even if it's just being the designated hitter, the next few years? You've got a nucleus that is in win mode right now. Does Eloy need to be a part of this process? Again, when healthy, he can do a lot of damage. But folks, eight trips to the injured list is eight trips to the injured list. And this is still a young guy who has not been with the Sox that long. So I know there is some conversation, social media with White Sox fans, we need to trade him. But honestly, at this point, I don't think you're going to get anywhere close to full value. So then you have a discussion with yourself. Is it worth trading him knowing you're not going to get 
fair value back for him. I know he's young. I know his tools are off the chart. But he's got a couple of things against him. He's a minus defensive player, and he's a DH right now with the White Sox. A lot of teams use their designated hitter as a place to rotate players and give them time off their feet, not play them in the field, stick them at DH. You can rotate people around. You know what? That's a pretty smart thing to do. If you like doing that, then having a guy like Aloy as your DH kind of clogs up what you want to do with the DH spot. I hesitate in giving up on him because I know what he's capable of. I've watched his work ethic in South Bend. It was second to none. He put in the time in the cage. The ball came off his bat a whole lot different than most individuals I was around. I've always talked about the three guys where the ball came off the bat a little different. It sounded different. And the ball went a lot farther than most. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Aloy Jimenez, and now the young Cardinal prospect, Jordan Walker. Those three, it just came off the bat different. But at some point, the Sox are going to have to make a decision. If I was a White Sox fan, and it's hard for me to put away my Aloy fandom, if I'm a Sox fan, I seriously have to consider it might be time in the very near future to move on from him. And it stinks saying that. I never thought I would say that. But if he's not going to stay healthy and he's just your DH, you can maybe make better use of that spot. He'll always be one of my favorites. But at this point, it's a problem for the White Sox. Fortunately, they got Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana. So whatever you get from Aloy, I guess, is just icing on the cake because Cease... Had a 2.20 ERA last year, was on the mound today. Gave up just one hit in six innings. Now he walked five, struck out eight, but got the win as the Sox beat the Giants 7-3. And our third and final hat trick of opening topics for this Wednesday. Let's go to Hollywood for a second. My son and I went to an early afternoon showing of the brand new motion picture called Air. It tells the story of how Sonny Vaccaro, one of those guys back in the day that was on the high school all-star basketball scene, influential guy hired by Nike. And it tells the story of how Nike was able to overcome big odds to land the number three player in the 1984 NBA draft, the guy from Carolina, Drafted by the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan. Now, I'm not going to give away anything in the movie because I know people want to see this. So let me just give you a, a little bit of a review without giving away anything. Number one, Sonny Vaccaro was a consultant in this movie, so you would highly su suspect most of the storylines in the movie were extremely accurate. Now, as we know from around these parts putting the jersey on the desk of the head football coach at Notre Dame when Rudy was on the team didn't necessarily happen or did not happen. But I get the sense this movie tells the story pretty well. Phil Knight in charge of Nike, Vaccaro, part of the basketball department that was really struggling at that time. They were way behind the competition, Converse and Adidas. And so the writing of this movie, I thought, was fantastic. 
When you don't have any action scenes, there's no shoot 'em ups, there's no car scenes. If you're into those type of movies, this isn't what it is. It just tells a great story. You understand the characters extremely well. The writing at times is clever. The acting among the top three individuals in the show, Matt Damon, who plays Sonny. You've got Ben Affleck as Phil Knight. Jason Bateman is another member of the Nike basketball department. Viola Davis plays Michael Jordan's mom. She was terrific in the movie. The acting was great. Those three, Matt, Ben, and and Jason, just played so well off of each other, and it was very believable they were employees at Nike trying to get Michael Jordan and how the shoe came about. I mean, it's just a really cool story. I won't get into that. But another part of the development of the storyline, if you're an old guy like me, How they set the stage for 1984 at the start of the movie is fantastic. I won't say anything more than that, but they do a montage of things to tell you it's 1984. It works extremely well. And at the end of the movie, a statement is put on the screen that is 100% correct about Michael Jordan. I won't tell you what it is, but when you see it, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. And I agree with that statement. I approve that message. As a matter of fact, the movie has some great 80s music mixed in to help tell the story. I just thought it was beautifully done. Some people are saying this is one of the best sports movies in a while. Without any real action, like a a game going on, it's a little different motion picture, but I absolutely loved it. Walked away really enjoying the picture. And just as an example... My son, who is 17, obviously wasn't around for all this. He thoroughly enjoyed the movie. So I highly recommend it. If you're one to wait for a streaming service, totally get it, understand it. But if you're fascinated with Michael Jordan, you'll love it. If you're fascinated about shoes, you'll love it. Or you know what? If you just like a really well-told story with good acting, I think you'll enjoy it. So I give it. I don't have a star system. I'll give it multiple thumbs up. Really enjoyed it. And if you get the chance to watch it, the movie Air, I highly recommend it. Great job by Affleck, Damon, and Bateman. 5.36 is our time, and that'll take care of our movie review for the year. We've got NFL mock draft conversation coming up. That's a drama in itself. Sometimes it's the lying season. Never believe the reports you hear about the NFL draft because no NFL team is going to tell you exactly what they're going to do outside of the team picking first who controls their own destiny. We'll have a conversation about that and more coming up. 536 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Eighteen minutes in front of six o'clock on this Wednesday evening. My name is Darren Pritchett. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live. At WSBTRadio.com, our free WSBT Radio app, and live on the Twitch app. 
We'll talk Notre Dame football and spring practice talk with Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated in just about 20 minutes or so here on WSBT Radio. Want to spend a moment on the upcoming National Football League draft. My expectation is four Notre Dame players will be taken in this draft. Safety, Brandon Joseph, probably a last day selection. And you've got Jared Patterson, the interior offensive lineman, probably a mid-round pick. Fourth, fifth round is the expectation. And then you have the two players near the top of the draft. The expectation is tight end Michael Mayer goes in the first round. And edge rusher Isaiah Foskey is a candidate to go in the second round. I would think at this point anybody else that gets drafted might be a bit of an upset. But we'll see late in this process if anybody else gets on NFL radars. All it takes is just one team to fall in love with a player. But a developing story heading into the stretch run of the NFL draft is how things have changed at the tight end position. Michael Mayer, the terrific tight end for the Irish the last three years, seemed like an absolute lock to be the first tight end taken off the board. That is in doubt at this particular time with the rise of Utah tight end Dalton Kincaid. You look at the most recent NFL mock draft, former draft analyst in the NFL. Now he works for the NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah. Always enjoy his mock drafts. His NFL mock draft 3.0 came out recently. And would you believe Dalton Kincaid was selected 13 picks before Michael Mayer. Honestly, in researching this, there's not really anything that stands out from these analysts why Kincaid is becoming more of a favorite over Michael Mayer. It has been consistently said Mayer is one of the safest picks in the draft. You know what you are going to get. I don't think they're saying Mayer has a ceiling. That's not the way I have taken that statement. I just feel like he translates to the NFL, and he is going to be a guy that when you pick him, you will not be disappointed. The tight end position is a non-premium position in the NFL draft. Premium positions, quarterback, defensive end, because everybody wants to get pressure on that elite quarterback. And in a passing league, cornerbacks are sought after. You think about protecting that high-end quarterback. You need a really good backside tackle. So with most quarterbacks being right-handed, that left tackle spot is a premium position. Tight end does not fall into that premium category. But Jeremiah has Utah's Dalton Kincaid going 16th to the Washington Commanders. Then Jeremiah, 13 picks later, at number 29, has Notre Dame's Michael Mayer coming off the board and going to the New Orleans Saints. 13 picks in between the two. I've seen other mock drafts where Kincaid goes 28th and Mayer goes 29th. Now, several mock drafts have Mayer going to the New Orleans Saints at number 29. Now, we are still a couple of weeks away from the most important draft, the real NFL draft, but these mock drafts, they talk to people, 
Again, it is the lying season. You can't believe everything you hear, but it's been now pretty consistent. Mayer dropping deep into the first first round, including at number 29 to the New Orleans Saints. I don't think there's a massive difference between Kincaid and Mayer. It's just some teams apparently prefer Kincaid. Is he a little better blocker? That might be a possibility. He was a really good pass catcher for Utah. But I think Mayer's going to be terrific down in the red zone. His hands uses his body to keep defenders away from the football and the catching process. He can block well. He's going to be a mismatch, and I still believe in Michael Mayer. And if he falls to 29, that'll be the New Orleans Saints getting a really good football player, and they will be very happy. In fact, new quarterback David Carr, the old Raiders quarterback, probably will be very happy with that decision. It is fun to watch the analysts break down the mock draft from the standpoint, what happens in the top four. Now, we already know the Bears shipped away the number one pick to the Carolina Panthers. The Bears now pick ninth. And a lot of people pointing toward a guy from Evanston being taken by the Bears. Offensive tackle from Northwestern, Peter Skaronsky. But in the top four, the Panthers are taking quarterback. They're not moving up to number one to take some of the position. So they're likely going to choose between Bryce Young from Alabama and C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Likely, whoever's left at number two, the Houston Texans, will take that player. Then things get interesting at number three. The top two quarterbacks are gone. The Arizona Cardinals sit at number three. They've got a very expensive quarterback on their team. Not sure he has played to the level at contract, but they have Kyler Murray. So number three is the target spot for many NFL teams wanting to move up. The Tennessee Titans have been kicked around as a possibility to jump in front of their division foe, the Colts, who sit at number four. Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, he has been bolting up draft boards and now a candidate to be a top five pick and a candidate to go number three. Now the Colts could trade up one spot like the Bears did with the 49ers years ago when they moved up for Mitchell Trubisky. But the Colts could preserve the guy that they want will get to them by moving up to number three and spend a little draft capital to jump up that one spot to get their guy and maybe offset somebody else trying to move up to that particular position. In this mock draft by Daniel Jeremiah, The Cardinals keep the pick and take Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama, and then the Colts take Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida. Now, Jalen Carter, the defensive tackle from Georgia, did not have a very good pro day at Georgia, looked overweight, did not perform that well. Despite that, his agent says he will not come visit any team outside the top 10 because he believes that Carter will still go in the top 10. In this mock draft, Carter goes to... Seattle at number five. The Bears have been linked to Carter all the way down at number nine. Now, the Lions have two first-round picks. At number six, Jeremiah has the best corner in the draft. Illinois' Devin Witherspoon going there. Terrific man-to-man cover corner and also a really good tackler against the run. With that second first-round pick, Jeremiah has the Lions taking a defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, Kalijah, can see. 
That's a little look at the mock drafts that put out by Daniel Jeremiah, someone that I watch closely. But the big story is Utah's Dalton Kincaid goes 16 to the Commanders, the second tight end off the board. Notre Dame's Michael Mayer, 29 to the New Orleans Saints. 5.50 is our time. We'll come back with the Twitter question of the day next. And we're about 15 minutes away from talking Notre Dame football spring practice with blue and golds. Notre Dame football beat reporter Tyler Horka on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 555 at WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett, and this is our Twitter question of the day. You can find it weekdays on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Yesterday, you were pondering this question. In the middle of spring practice for the Fighting Irish, who is currently the face of the Notre Dame offense? Now, I think this could change over time. Once you get, for example, Sam Hartman in a real game situation. So who is currently the face of the Notre Dame offense? You had four choices. The new quarterback, Sam Hartman. The big bruising running back, Audric Estime. The elusive running back, Logan Diggs. Or the big bruiser up front, left tackle, Joe Alt. So who is currently the face of the Notre Dame offense? Coming in fourth place in the voting, running back Logan Diggs. Had a really good bowl game, good second half of the year, electric talent, but overshadowed by that big guy that's pretty fast. We'll get to him in a moment. Third place in the voting, he got a little love at left tackle. You don't talk about offensive linemen unless they give up a sack. So we don't talk about Joel a whole lot during games because he does his job. But we know how good he is. Could be a top 10 pick in next year's NFL draft. Alt got 8.8% of the vote. Second place in the voting. I wonder if this is the guy if we were having this discussion in November. New quarterback Sam Hartman got 41.2% of the vote. But winning the vote at 48.5%, Audric Estime, and you can understand why. You don't see too many running backs his size that can bring you power and surprising speed. He's even, I think, cut down a little weight, adding a little more wiggle to his game. Hey, we all like big guys that can do things we're not used to seeing, and this guy is a load running the football. Audric Estime, in your estimation, is currently the face of the Notre Dame offense. He almost got half the vote at 48.5%. Today's question, which was posted this afternoon, I had a conversation on last night's program that the opening day for college basketball this fall is November 6th, which got me thinking. Where will Notre Dame football stand on November the 6th? They will have played Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, Central Michigan, Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, USC, Pitt, and Clemson. Ten of the 12 games will be in the books on November 6th, so I said the Irish will be 8-2. That's up for debate, can be changed as we get more answers to this squad. The question on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat was, 
I said eight and two. Your opinion is fill in the blank. Choice number one, you agree with my assessment, eight and two. Second choice, I'm underestimating this group. They're going to be better than eight and two. And the third choice on November 6th, the Irish will be worse than eight and two. We'd love to get your opinion. If you have a thought, please reply to my tweet and we'll read it on the air. Again, go to my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. Where will the Irish football team be on November 6th? I say 8-2. You say agree, better, or worse. We're bringing the results on tomorrow's program. 5.59 at WSBT. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold coming up in a moment on Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. Eight minutes after six o'clock. Welcome to the second hour. Budweiser's weekday sports beat for this Wednesday evening. Let's get to a little bit more on Notre Dame football spring practice as we kick off a conversation with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter. You can check out his work at blueandgold.com. He is Tyler Horka. He's ready to go to talk on his Wednesday spot here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Tyler, how are you? I'm good. It's Masters week, so I, know. I am really good, actually. And I actually get to go out to Chicago this weekend to catch the Rangers at Wrigley, which is something nice. I never thought I would do in my life. So, yeah, it's a great weekend. Yeah, your Rangers off to a pretty good start so far. Like yeah. that. Like yeah, that. I'll take four and two. Yep, you bet. Well, and you also have Notre Dame football spring practice duties. You've been out there watching practice when practice has been open to the media. So we have a few things to talk about. And Tyler, let me just start at the wide receiver position. I had a conversation with our listeners about the wide receiver spots earlier on the program. Two-part question for you right off the bat. At the wide receiver position, has there been a veteran receiver that has stood out so far in spring practice? And part two is, how about one of the younger wide receivers? Yeah, part one, I really feel like everyone on our message board at blueandgold.com is wanting it to be Virginia Tech transfer Caleb Smith because you get a guy from the portal who's been through it for a few years, has put up some decent numbers at a, another program, and you hope he can bring those and more to South Bend. I really haven't seen it from Caleb Smith, and I think that might just be a case of getting used to new surroundings and trying to find where he fits. But it's been Deion Colsey at that boundary position for me, and I would classify him as a veteran because at this point Mm -hmm. you have that group of juniors, and then it feels like you have a whole bunch of newcomers. So in that group of three juniors, I think it's been Deion Colsey who's been impressive. Uh, He looks healthy, which is something that's really been an issue for him, especially last year especially last off season as well in fall camp. I don't think he was really healthy until October probably. So you hope that he's healthy all year because when he is, uh, he's not the burner that Tobias Merriweather is. And he's a guy that's looked really good as well, but he's just a little more physical. And if you're going to throw a jump ball to the sideline, you probably throw it to him. If you want someone streaking down the middle of the field, you probably want that to be Merriweather and maybe some of the other guys. But I think that Colsey is really a guy that can be, red zone presence for this team. I mean, we saw it on third down last year where it seemed like when Notre Dame was in third and eight, maybe third and 10, third and 12, even third and 15, you throw it to Deion Colsey and good things happened in the last three regular season games. So I think he's continued that and carried it in to this spring practice. And and again, it's really good to see him healthy enough to do that. As for a newcomer, 
I sound like a broken record probably the last three uh, Wednesdays that I've come on here since I've been talking to you since spring practice mm-hmm. started, but it's Rico Flores Jr. And he's really surprised me because of the three freshman early enrollee wide receivers, I thought Jaden Greathouse would be the number one guy right away. And he actually caught the most passes in the open practice that we saw on Saturday. But if you read my reports at blueandgold.com, those passes were only coming between three to five yards from the line of scrimmage. It looked like Notre Dame was really trying to work on some outs, some slants, some of that dink and dunk stuff. It seemed like that was the day for that. And that's a good sign that Jaden Greathouse was the one catching all of those because that's a sign that he's reliable. And Notre Dame says, hey, if we need that short yardage, we're going we're gonna to throw it to this guy. But in terms of being dynamic and getting down the field, Rico Flores Jr. probably had the best catch of the 11-on-11 live periods of practice from that fully open practice that I'm referencing from last Saturday where he ran a corner route and there was nobody within two or three yards of him. And that tells me he was explosive. He got open, got the separation. That's the buzzword with Notre Dame wide receivers. Can they separate? <laughs> can they get away from defensive backs? And it seems like he can do that. And I think he can do that at all levels of the field, short yard, the intermediate, and then the long stuff. So, yeah, it's a good mix between him and Colsey. I think they've really impressed me. Slants. I like the sound of that. That's something that's been missing (laughs) from the Notre Dame offensive arsenal the last few years. Tyler, let's talk about another Tyler. Tyler Buckner. Can be lost in the shuffle at times when you bring in Sam Hartman, who set all the records in the ACC playing for Wake Forest. He's going to be the starting quarterback unless Tyler Buckner puts together one heck of a spring and fall. But the expectation, it's going to be Sam. But how would you assess Tyler's spring so far? Yeah, I think he's been pretty good. And I don't think there's been much of a difference between Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner. Now, that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. I don't think the media has seen enough to know if that difference is really there. Obviously, there is a difference between a guy who's going into his sixth year and a guy who's going into his third, a guy with 45 career starts, a guy with only three career starts. Hartman has all of those intangibles over Buckner. But then Buckner has that athletic element that Sam Hartman doesn't. And in that practice that I'll keep going back to from last Saturday, these guys weren't tackling quarterbacks, obviously. They weren't even bringing ball carriers that were running backs or wide receivers to the ground. But in times where pressure did get through the line of scrimmage and the offensive line lost the rep, you could tell that Tyler Buckner was a little more ready to make the scramble and say, hey, I'm going to take five yards up the middle here or I'm going to bust this outside and extend this play. I think Tyler Buckner still has that over Sam Hartman. And if this is going to be a competition that lingers into August, then maybe we're two or three weeks away from that Navy game and a starter hasn't been named yet, it's going to be because Buckner can do those things with his legs that Hartman can't. Now, if he's throwing the ball really well, too, I think we ser- we might have a serious quarterback competition. And look, I'm really high on Sam Hartman. He's the front runner. I expect him to win this job. It's really only a matter of time. But that matter of time might take a little bit longer than a lot of people think because – Tyler Buckner is going to be a junior, and he's not this sophomore who got hurt, and then we didn't see him for two and a half months during that regular season. He's a guy that's coming off of a game played. Yeah, he turned the ball over a few times, but he also accounted for five touchdowns and was the MVP of the Gator Bowl against an SEC team. So I think he's more confident than he was, say, 
six months ago in the middle of the fall when he was watching Drew Pine play all these games. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, too. Let's be honest. We talked to him a couple weeks ago now or, or maybe just a week ago. I forget when it was. And he said, yeah, look, I mean, somebody comes in. It's obviously going to make me want to play better. I'm a competitor. I don't want to lose this competition easily. And I'm not going to let Sam Hartman win it easily either. So he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's more confident. And there is the possibility that he's just better than he was, say, six or seven months ago. Blue and Gold Illustrated's Notre Dame football beat reporter Tyler Horka joining me, Darren Pritchett, on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. Good news for the defense. They are seeing two really good quarterbacks in practice, Hartman and Buckner. Specifically, how would you describe how the secondary has responded facing two quarterbacks that can do some damage with their right arms? Yeah, I asked Chris O'Leary just yesterday on on Monday, or I guess Tuesday it was, what he has kind of seen from an offense that might go downfield and be a little bit more vertical than it was in 2022. And his eyes just kind of lit up and he said, I love it because we know we're going to be playing some teams in the fall that are going to want to throw it downfield. You know, let's look at USC and Heisman winner Caleb Williams, Ohio State, even though they lost C.J. Stroud. That offense is still going to sling it down the field like they have been the last 10 years in college football. So it's nice for these defensive backs at Notre Dame to kind of be facing that day in and day out at practice. And I think they've kind of risen to the challenge. I thought Ryan Barnes had the best practice that I've ever seen him had in the three years that I've been covering Notre Dame football now. He was attacking the ball. And I think that's we've seen a lot of that from the Notre Dame defensive backs and the practices that we've been able to see. Clarence Lewis had a really good practice, too. I'm, I'm naming two cornerbacks right there before I'm even naming the starters in Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. And by the way, Benjamin Morrison looks very good in these <laughs> practices as well. So, yeah, I, I think you get better at anything through repetition. And the more times you see it and the more times you do see it and you go through it, you're, com- you're more confident the next time that you can be a little bit better than you were in defending it the first time. And you put all of these reps out over and over and over again. I think we're going to see a Notre Dame defensive back core in August that has kind of been through the ropes and been on the ropes and taken some punches, but I think they're able to punch back a little bit too. And it's not like outside of Morrison, this Notre Dame defensive back core has uh, a headline guy, but I think maybe that brings a little bit of a chip to their shoulders as well in that, Maybe you'll see the best D.J. Brown that you've ever seen or Xavier Watts. I wrote about him at blueandgold.com this week. Maybe he takes the next step and is a really good safety as a senior for Notre Dame. Throw Ramon Henderson into that conversation as well. I think you're just going to see a lot of a collection of a lot of guys who have gotten better through practices because they're facing Sam Hartman and more confident Tyler Buckner, and that's made them more confident as well. Tyler, let me go back to the quarterbacks just for a second. As you watch practice – Is it obvious that there is a quarterback competition going on? Is practice geared more toward Hartman? He gets all the first reps. How would you assess how practice has gone? Does it look like a true quarterback competition? Yeah, I think they're treating it pretty wide open. Uh, I'll try to paint the picture from what we saw on Saturday. Uh, We saw probably 20 minutes of 11-on-11 live reps and I would say 
seven and a half of those went to to Sam Hartman, seven and a half went to Tyler Buckner, and then they gave Steve Angeli the remaining five. So you've clearly got a 1A and a 1B and then a 2 in Steve Angeli. Early enrollee uh, freshman Kenny Minchie didn't even throw during the 11-on-11, so that's how they're kind of funneling those reps. And it wasn't as if all those 20 minutes were in sequential order or they all came in one big group. It was They did uh, probably 10 minutes and then they went to individual drills, and then they came back and did another 10 minutes, and they gave Sam Hartman the first four minutes, they gave Tyler Buckner the next four minutes, and then they gave Angeli a couple minutes, and then they went to their drills, and then they came back, and Buckner was actually the one to go through the period first, another four minutes, Hartman gets another four minutes, and then Angeli another two minutes after that. So the 1A, the 1B thing is clear, and I, I wouldn't even say – it's 1A, 1B, it's it's question mark, question mark, because that's how they're treating this thing. There is no starter right now. Those guys are on an equal playing field. And I think that's fair, because even though Notre Dame lost Tommy Reese, uh, Tyler Buckner's been here for, like I said, this he's going into his third season, and he's kind of comfortable practicing in that building, being around these guys, being around this head coach, being around some of his assistants that he's been with for a couple years now. And Sam Hartman just got here two and a half months ago, and it kind of – I don't want to say his head is spinning because it's not. It's not. He's a six-year senior. He knows what he's doing. But this is still new to him, and he's admitted, and the other quarterbacks have admitted that there have been times where Sam Hartman, the six-year senior, the guy that turns 24 years old later this summer, has asked them questions like, hey, what do we do here? What do we do there? So it would be unfair to everyone in that room, everyone on the team, for him to be named the starter right away. And as a result of that, you have a guy in Tyler Buckner who, if Sam Hartman wasn't here, like you said earlier, Darren, mm-hmm. he'd be starting right now. So that's how they're treating it, is that those guys are, are on pretty equal footing. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated talking Notre Dame football spring practice. Running back Logan Diggs apparently has been a little banged up. He's missed some time in spring practice. We do not know what the injury is. How is the running back rotation looked with a guy like Diggs on the sideline and Chris Tyree still hanging out with the wide receivers. Yeah, I'll, I'll preface this with go to blueandgold.com probably mid-morning on Thursday. We're actually scheduled to speak to running backs coach Delon McCullough and Logan Diggs himself. So we'll kind of dig in to why he has been in sweats and a t-shirt the last few times that we've seen him at the Iris Athletic Center because that's a pretty big development. And you mentioned Chris Tyree when Logan Diggs went out that first day and we saw him running to the IAC without any pads on and we knew, okay, he's not practicing. My first thought was, let's see if Chris Tyree is back working with the running backs, and he wasn't. He's been working with the wide receivers this entire time, and spring practice has been going for two weeks now. So that kind of answers the question about his future, that when the Notre Dame running backs are in such dire need with, with Diggs down, and Jeremiah Love not getting here until the summer, and Jadarian Price still not working out at full capacity because of his Achilles injury from last summer. You're down to Audric Estime, who's a really good guy to be down to. And then Devron Payne, uh, a rising sophomore who didn't play a whole lot last year. I think you can count on one hand how many carries he got during the course of an entire 13-game season. So right now, especially in that practice that we saw on Saturday, it was Estime, and then it was Payne. And I think Estime, obviously, 
I, I don't want to say he doesn't need these reps because everybody needs these practice reps, but the guy who's benefited the most is definitely Jabron Payne, the guy who didn't get a whole lot of action behind SMA, Tyree, and Diggs last year. All of a sudden, he's, for these practice purposes, vaulted into a number two role. He's running routes out of the backfield. He's actually getting carried between the tackles. They're dialing up some stuff for him to get off tackle. And he had a 50-yard run that set up an SMA touchdown in the 11-on-11 period in that practice Saturday. That 50-yard run was probably the best. No, I will say it, it was the best offensive play that Notre Dame had all day in that practice. So that's what Notre Dame has been running with with the running back situation right now. Now, the fact that we're going to speak to Diggs on Thursday morning tells me that it's not a significant injury. It's not very severe, and we'll clear all that up with him personally tomorrow. But in the meantime, obviously, SMA has benefited from this, and Payne has really seriously benefited from it as well. I want to get your take on the LSU-Iowa Women's Basketball National Championship game. You cover the Irish women's basketball team for Blue and Gold Illustrated, a game in which LSU dominated, but almost two storylines overshadowed LSU winning the title, the poor officiating in the game, which I think affected Iowa. LSU won the game. They deserved it. Not saying that caused them to win, but it affected Iowa. And also the taunting that took place between Angel Reese of LSU and Caitlin Clark of Iowa. Clark is known for doing similar things, and Reese kind of gave it back to her. What is your take on all this? Is it good for women's basketball? Is there more trash talking with the ladies than we probably know? I mean, you can sit pretty close at some women's games, so I'm just kind of curious your take on these storylines from the title game. Yeah, let me answer your first question first. It's great for women's basketball because it's Wednesday night and we're talking about a game from Sunday. The women's game does not get a whole lot of that. There have been years where you kind of let it play out. The men's game is the next day. And then the conversation from that game just dominates the entire week. And those two games had similar scores. The, the margin of uh, the point margin between winner and loser was pretty much identical. I actually, here you go. I actually forget what the men's score was. I know UConn won by 15 to 20 points. 76-59, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, and I think, what did uh, LSU win? 102 to 105? It was the exact same point score. And we're talking about the women's game. Yeah. So you had similar games. But, again, now let's go to the other parts of your question. The games weren't exactly the same because I do think the officiating definitely dominated the conversation. And I thought LSU was actually on the wrong side of that early you saw Angel Reese pick up two fouls I think it was in the first quarter and I was like oh no that's not going to benefit LSU but then they put in some of these players who a lot of people definitely have never heard of and they start popping off threes and all of a sudden they almost have 60 points at the end of the first half that was a really good thing for women's college basketball because I think a lot of people that were tuned in that normally wouldn't be were like whoa these girls can shoot these girls can play and that's pretty fun to watch and then in the second half it did get a little unfortunate when the the fouls started going against Iowa because you already had an LSU team that was playing so confident, and then Iowa's best players start picking up fouls, and they really had no chance to come back at that point. But as far as the trash-talking stuff goes, yeah. I mean, it exists in women's college basketball, and it's kind of naive to say it doesn't. I think Caitlin Clark had – I don't know what show she was on. It might have even been SportsCenter on, on the big ESPN where she said, um, look, we all do it. Um, it's just that we were in the spotlight and it got picked up on. And, and she said, Angel Reese 
has every right to do what she did because, like you said, Darren, Caitlin Clark has done it herself. Now, I didn't really see her doing it too much in that game, even though she mm-hmm. scored 30 points, made eight three-pointers, whatever it was. So maybe a little bit a little bit of it from Reese was over the line. But, look, she just won a national title for the first time in her school's history. Sometimes you, you step over a line, and as long as the, the line that you're stepping over, the person on the other side is saying, hey, you would have the right to do that, then I think it's fine. And just to, to wrap it all up, yeah, I think it's awesome that we're, we're still talking about it. Um, I think some of the opinions about it, some of the other people probably need to shut their mouths and just let <laughs> the, these women do the talking. But it, it's just really cool to, to kind of see the numbers. I mean, 10 million people watching yeah. a women's basketball game, it was pretty awesome to see. What's happening right now at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com? Yeah, we're definitely going to have a lot of coverage from the running back interviews that I was talking about a little bit earlier with McCullough and Estime, Diggs. I think Jadarian Price is even talking, and it's going to be interesting to get his perspective on coming back from an Achilles injury. And I I think a lot of people are curious to know his timeline when we might see him on the field. So look for all of that on a loaded Thursday at blueandgold.com, and then We'll take you through the rest of spring practice leading up to the Blue Gold game on April 22nd. Blueandgold.com is definitely the place to be if you want to know what's up with the Fighting Irish and tell them. He is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Blueandgold.com. I appreciate the visit and the analysis and enjoy a little golf at Augusta National the next few days. Yeah, I'm pumped. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, Darren. All right, thanks, Tyler. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. A lot of good info on what's happening right now with the Fighting Irish as spring practice continues. And don't forget, the Blue Gold game is live on WSBT Radio. I'll have the play-by-play on Saturday, April the 22nd at 2 o'clock on 960 AM WSBT. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's, the family inn. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Halfway through the 6 o'clock hour on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 637 on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The Chicago Cubs were scheduled to play in Cincinnati this afternoon against the Red Legs. That game was postponed due to rain. They'll make up the game. September 1st at Great American Ballpark as part of a doubleheader. It's going to be different this year. You only go to your divisional opponent twice, and you play them at home twice with the restructured Major League Baseball schedule as everybody is going to play everybody throughout Major League Baseball. White Sox two days ago lost their home opener to San Francisco. Much better today. The Sox beat the Giants 7-3. Dylan Cease, the winning pitcher for Chicago. Six innings, a hit, five walks, a run, eight strikeouts. Luis Robert, three for four with a couple of runs and an RBI. Gavin Sheets, 
three RBI for the good guys. And the Tigers lost in Houston this afternoon by a final score of 8-2. to two. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Today's question, all about golf. And the first major of the golf season getting underway tomorrow at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia. The great thing about the Masters compared to the other majors It's in the same place every year. And for golf fans, they know what each hole brings to the golfers involved in this major championship. The back nine, we can probably rattle off the holes and what's the challenges for each of the golfers. So this is truly a magnificent golf course, historic, brings challenges to the best players in the world. Well, this is probably one of the weaker fields, honestly. 88 players are in. You take away the legends who have won this tournament that continue to play in it until they don't want to anymore. That kind of reduces the number of people that can really win this championship. But it all gets underway tomorrow. It's supposed to be in the 80s tomorrow. Then rain's going to be a factor Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's going to cool off, which is not good for Tiger Woods. Still dealing, of course, with the... Result of that car accident, the knee and the ankle, never going to be the same. And when it gets cold and rainy, it affects him even more. So today's my five question of the day, the top five Masters pairings for tomorrow's first round. This music is okay, but maybe we can find something more appropriate to set the mood. All right, top five Masters pairings for tomorrow's first round. We will begin with, ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. The 10.18 a.m. tea time, which will feature the five-time Masters champion, Tiger Woods. It's probably not going to be an easy walk the next couple of days for Tiger with that injury. Cold and rainy on Friday, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but Tiger is playing He draws eyeballs, not only on the golf course, but via television. He's still a big deal. And everybody still can't believe he won in 2019, an amazing comeback. Tiger Woods playing with Victor Hovland, a great young player. I never feel like he's going to be a threat at the Masters, a true threat, because his short game is one of his weaknesses. And you better have a good short game going around Augusta National. And the third member of the group is American Xander Shoffley. Top five Masters pairings for tomorrow's first round. We go now to 10.54 a.m. Where we find the champion from a couple of years ago, Hideki Matsuyama, Cameron Smith, and Sunjay M. Matsuyama, a Masters champion, very quiet, Doesn't bring any controversy. Probably why a live golfer is in his group. Now, Cameron Smith is a low-key guy himself. Disappointing after winning the Open Championship. He went to the controversial live golf tour, took all the money. He is one of two players to finish in the top 10 at the Masters 
each of the last three years. The other is Canadian Corey Connors, who won the Valermo Texas Open last weekend. But Matsuyama and Smith are the two major players in this group. But don't forget about Sun J.M. He has won on the PGA Tour two times, and he finished in a tie for second back in 2020 at the Masters. All right, we move along in our favorite pairings for the first round tomorrow. The next pairing is at 10.42 a.m. Justin Thomas, John Rahm, and Cameron Young. No question, the first two guys I mentioned are the featured golfers in this group. Justin Thomas, who has not had a lot of success at Augusta National, only one top 10 finish. Won the PGA Championship last year, trying to add another major. You've also got John Rahm, who won the U.S. Open a couple of years ago at Torrey Pines. Considered one of the best three golfers in the world right now. Three guys, I think it's fair to say, have separated themselves from the competition. Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, and Rory McIlroy. Can Rahm get it done at Augusta National? Very excitable player. Sometimes you got to breathe a little more at Augusta National as at some point things are going to go haywire, including at Amen Corner. But Rom's still phenomenal. Power, finesse with the irons. He's got the game to win. And, oh, yeah, Cameron Young's also playing in that particular group. But we focus on Thomas and Rom. Number two. Another pairing to watch in tomorrow's first round of the Masters. It's the last tee time off tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Jordan Spieth, Tommy Fleetwood, and Tony Finau. Smith, Smith. How about Jordan Spieth has won the Masters already. Looking to find the win column in a major. It's been a few years after he ran off several in a short amount of time. Spieth, his short game always gives himself a chance at Augusta National. Tommy Fleetwood's never won on the PGA Tour, a good European player, has never been able to put it truly together in a major. And Tony Finau, it feels like his time is coming to win a major. Never been a fan of that saying the best player never to win a major. I'm not sure who that is right now, if I believed in that saying. But Finau seems to be a guy who has the game to win a major. He's won a couple of times now on the PGA Tour. He was known for being close to winning but not getting it done. He has jumped over that hurdle. All I can think about a couple of years ago in the Par 3 Challenge, Finau was the player after hitting a tee shot, walking toward the green. He kind of dislocated his ankle. Remember, it popped out of place. Not a good look. But watch Finau this week. Is it now his opportunity be right in the mix on Sunday to win a major. And finally, number one, the top pairing for the Masters tomorrow. I point toward the 136 tee time, one of the last groups off. It is Scotty Scheffler, Max Homa, and Sam Bennett. Scheffler, the defending champion. A year ago, maybe 15 months. In that ballpark, Scheffler won for the first time out in Arizona, and that opened 
the floodgates. Scheffler, the defending champion at the Masters, trying to go back-to-back -back for the first time since Tiger Woods accomplished the feat in 01-02. He's got the game to get it done. He's playing really strong golf at the current time. Don't watch his swing, his footwork, because his footwork would not be taught by any professional helping you, but it works for Scheffler. Max Homa, part of the President's Cup last fall. Great young American player, very sneaky. He's won six times on the PGA Tour. Has not performed well. Actually, you know what, I'm gonna take that back. I think he's only been to Augusta a couple of times. Hasn't worked out yet, but a couple of more rounds under his belt. It's all about knowing this golf course, where to hit it. He's learned a lot. I think Homa's on the verge of being a guy that can finish in the top 10. And Sam Bennett is the USAM champion. Scheffler is a Longhorn. Bennett is a Texas A&M Aggie. So a little rivalry there in that final group. But Scheffler, Homa, and Bennett, my pairing to watch in the first round of the Masters tomorrow. Let's see if the defending champ gets off to a great start. And I think Homa can be a factor this week. There you have it, the My 5 question of the day, the top five pairings for the first round tomorrow. We need to step aside for a moment. We'll have a little sizzler, some sports wagering conversation to wrap up the program. 13 minutes in front of 7 o'clock, Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on the Twitch app. forecast brought to you by four winds casino south bend hotel and spa your entertainment escape wednesday evening will be windy expect gusty west winds at 15 to 25 miles per hour wind gusts could be up to 40 a few rain showers will be possible too severe weather is not expected temperatures will drop through the 50s and into the 40s this evening the overnight will be mostly clear and chilly overnight lows will be in the mid 30s thursday will be mostly sunny with highs near 50 i'm wspt 22 meteorologist james Parrish. Show me the money. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. <laughs> we go with Sizzler. It is time for Sports Wagering Conversation on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you on this Wednesday evening. We will recap what happened last night in our sports wagering segment. Normally, I have four picks, went with a fifth. Bad idea because the one I added was the one that did not hit. I took the Cubs against the Reds. The Cubs minus a half a run in the first five innings at plus 100. Cubs at that point were down 3-1 after five innings. But the rest of the card worked out extremely well. They had, I had the Cubs on the money line at the Reds at minus 130. You bet 10, you win 17-69. Cubs roared back in the late innings. Cubbies over the Reds last night, 12-5. Also last night, Ian Happ of the Cubs, over one and a half hits, runs, and RBI. Any combination that gets you over one and a half would be a winner. Happ was terrific last night. He went three for four with two runs and an RBI, easily over that one and a half plateau. 
The fourth suggestion from last night, I had the Padres in the first five innings over the Diamondbacks at minus 140. It was a good thing. The Padres led 5-1 after five innings, ended up losing the game 8-6, but all we worried about was the first five innings. And finally, last night from the NHL, Vegas and Nashville. Under six total goals in the game at minus 115. Five was the total as the Predators won in overtime, three to two. So four and one last night, five and four for the week so far. Let's quickly get to a couple of picks for today. A couple of these selections are already in the books. I had a two-team parlay, Rays on the money line against the Nationals, and Braves pitcher Bryce Elder would not record the win. That actually was a loss as Elder got the win against St. Louis. The Rays won easily, so that first one didn't work out. Second selection, I had Dylan Cease over seven and a half strikeouts at minus 110. You bet 10, you win 19.09. He finished with eight, so that worked out very well. Two more picks. They will take place tonight and tomorrow, respectively. The first from Major League Baseball. I've got the Blue Jays and the Royals. The Blue Jays will have the advantage after the first five innings. We'll go Blue Jays minus a half a run in the first five innings at minus 130. You bet 10. You win 17.69. And this game will start when our show begins tomorrow. College Hockey, Minnesota on the 60-minute line beating Boston University in regulation at minus 130. Hope you have a great evening. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 here on WSBT. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous spicy range rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.